Specialty Stories, session number 111. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Now, welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. If you are a pre-med student listening to this, go check out the pre-med years if you haven't already. You can find that at premedyears.com. It's a podcast where I get to talk to physicians, medical students, admissions committee members at medical schools, and much more. Everything that you need to know about your pre-med path is in the pre-med years. And if you're a first or second year medical student, go check out Board Rounds, where I teamed up with Board Vitals, a test prep company, to bring you the best information possible in podcast form for your USMLE Step 1 and Comlex Level 1 test prep. This week, I have a great guest, Dr. Philip Ashley, who has been out of fellowship training now for a few years, and he is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. We're going to have a conversation all about his path to pediatric orthopedic surgery and his career change mid-college and his path changing mid-college and how he reached out to a mentor, which changed his trajectory in life. We start the conversation with why that trajectory changed and why he chose pediatric orthopedic surgery. Uh, So I kind of went to medical school thinking I wanted to be a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. Um, I I changed my career track um, kind of middle of uh, college. I'd always thought I wanted to do something in engineering and did a summer internship with NASA, found out I Spent the entire summer in Southern California and locked in a cubicle trying to program a robot. <laughs> All of a sudden, water on Mars wasn't quite as exciting. <laughs> so I, I, at that point, I decided I wanted to look at, into some other options. And I, I as, a, as a child, had broken my femur bone. So yeah. uh, And the, the surgeon who had operated on me ended up being somewhat of a mentor. So I contacted him and I said, hey, you know. I'm kind of thinking about changing career ideas and um, was wondering if I could shadow you for for you know, uh, a week or so um, over the Christmas holiday. So he let me do that. And, and I was hooked after that, um, you know, kind of uh, halfway through my, let's see, I think it was my sophomore year of college. Okay. Um, and I, so I went to med school thinking I wanted to be a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. Um, and you're one of the 25% that stuck with it. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> That's awesome. I tried to keep an open mind, but nothing, uh, nothing could dissuade me otherwise. Yeah. What do you think it was that, that, in your words, hooked you to being a pediatric orthopedic surgeon when you were shadowing? Um, I loved, um, like any orthopedic surgeon, being able to work with my hands and to... Um, do something in the operating room that you could see made an immediate difference in somebody's quality of life, uh, which was probably what, what I love the most about what I was doing. What I love specifically about pediatric orthopedics, though, is uh, that you're often working on children who 
have illnesses or, or things that mean you're going to take care of them for the rest of their childhood and, and get to develop a, a relationship with the child and with the family and get to be hopefully an inspiration to them uh, for whatever they would want to do in their careers. What traits do you think lead to someone being a good PD orthodoc? I think first off, you have to enjoy being around kids um, and just um, the the joy that they bring and be able to put up with their parents and the stress that 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 they they bring. Yeah, um, I think that's 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 one thing. Um, otherwise, I think you, it requires a significant attention to detail um, and creativity of being able to interview and examine children uh, who oftentimes are in pain and still be able to kind of get them to show you the things that you need to find out on your exam. Yeah. So kind of multiple difficulties, kids who typically don't like to listen and sit still to begin with and they're in pain. Yeah, exactly. So you, you have to be creative about it, about dealing with them while also um, paying close attention to the detail. And then, and then in the operating room, you really have to pay close attention to, to detail and, 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 because you're doing something that could impact the rest of their life. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to survive just five, 10 years. It has to survive 60, 70 years. On your path to becoming a pediatric orthopedic surgeon, were there any other subspecialties in orthopedics that you were like, wow, like, I, I really like joints and you don't do a ton of that in PD. Maybe I should do that instead. Um, for a while, I considered trauma. Um, I really enjoy trauma and putting fractures back together. Um, so I, I considered that and, and, and looked at that for a little bit. Um, but thankfully in children, uh, and pediatric orthopedics, um, I get to do plenty of trauma. So, um, it, it, uh, I, I considered doing trauma, but ended up still sticking with peds. Yeah. What types of patients are you typically treating? Like what's, what's bread and butter for a pediatric orthopedic surgeon? Uh, so the, th the other thing I really enjoy about pediatric orthopedics is I am one of the few areas of orthopedics where I really get to be a generalist. I could, you know, this week I'm operating on a spine. Last week I operated on hips and feet and uh, broken forearms and, and, and anything. So probably, though, if you wanted to consider pediatric orthopedics, the, the bread and butter things you might specialize in would, or you might be, be able to do is take care of fractures in kids. Um, one of the most common one being a super or humerus fracture. Um, yeah, those monkey bars. Take, exactly. <laughs> yep. Exactly. You might be able to take care of a club foot. Um, so there's mm -hmm. a lot of casting that's involved in that. And then also some procedures later on down the line. Um, we're often taking care of hip dysplasia and trying to um, uh, get the hips to either stay in or go back in if they were, are dislocated. Um, and so, yeah, you know, there's a lot of, uh, procedures that can be associated with that. Um, we take care of kids with Perthes disease who also have hip problems. Um, and then scoliosis is another kind of big ticket item where oftentimes there are, you, you end up picking. Um, probably in pediatric orthopedics, whether or not you're going to do spine. And so some people do a lot of spine. Some people say, well, I'm going to do the basic spine, but if it's really complex, I'm going to send it out to a 
uh, somebody who has complex spine. Yeah. Describe a typical day. Uh, so, so really, there's kind of two or three different kinds of typical day for me. So you know, I have clinics some days and then OR some days. And um, on my typical clinic day, my clinic doesn't start until 8.30. And so I'll come in, you know, wake up early, go exercise, take my kids to school. And then um, I show up to clinic probably 10, 15 minutes before clinic starts and take care of any loose ends that were hanging around from the day before. Um, and then we'll see around 30 to, to 35 or 40 patients um, uh, in a given day. And usually I have a resident who's working with me and we get to kind of uh, collaborate and, and do a little bit of education, talking them through um, various patients that they see and, and things that, that I want to point out about an exam or um, the indications for a surgery or things like that that we, we discuss um, throughout the course of the day. Um, while seeing patients um, and then usually we're done with clinics somewhere around 4 4 30 um, and um, kind of wrap up dictating our uh, clinic notes uh, uh, and hopefully i'm able to go home before five that's a typical day in clinic okay. um on, on or days we're oftentimes getting in around 6 30 or 7 to kind of check people in hopefully in the operating room by 7.30, and we, depending on the, the day, we may have as many as three or four cases, um, or it may just be one or two really big cases. And and, and again, we're often done uh, before five. And so we kind of check in on our patients after they've woken up and, and hopefully are home again uh, in time to eat dinner with the kids. A lot of students thinking about orthopedic surgery think that it's surgery 100% of the time. For the patients that you're seeing in clinic, what percentage of them do you think you actually take to the OR for a procedure? So in pediatric orthopedics, particularly, you're going to see a lot more clinic. And in fact, 50% of your revenue and at least 50% of your time is going to be spent in the clinic. Mm. Um, uh, so I would say it's probably more of one to one in 10 patients that I see on a given day um, that actually ends up in surgery. Now, some of those patients that I'm seeing, some of those 10 might be, might be follow-ups from prior surgery. So it's not like, you know, if a new patient comes in, maybe it's more like one in five uh, new patients that might end up being surgery. Although well, it might be, I don't know the exact numbers from my clinic specifically, but I will say that um, in pediatric orthopedics, it's, a lot more clinic heavy than adult orthopedics because most kids thankfully um, recover from fractures and things like that and can be managed conservatively. Do you have to take a lot of call? Uh, I do. Um, I have in my, my practice, um, I have three partners. Um, and so we share a call for, our institution in the just pediatric orthopedic call, and which means we do it one week at a time, and we take uh, one week every four weeks. So I guess it a averages out to one in four, but we do it a week at a time, so that yeah. we can still take long vacations and things like that. Yeah. Do you think you have enough time for life outside of the hospital for family and for for other enjoyments? I really do. Um, uh, part of the reason why I was drawn to pediatric orthopedics is most 
pediatric orthopedic surgeons um, have a tendency to care a lot about their family life. And so if you look at the, the numbers on how pediatric orthopedic surgeons get paid relative to other orthopedic surgeons, they actually get paid less. But, it, but when you look at how that averages out, that's really because they're working less. They're, if you look at their RVU numbers or um, things like that, they're actually not working as much as, as most of our other orthopedic counterparts are because they've made a conscious decision to spend time with their families. And, and, that, and that plays out in my clinic or in my, my practice as well. What does the training path look like to become a pediatric orthopedic surgeon? So similar to most orthopedic surgeons, you're going to you know, finish med school and then uh, you're going to go to a five-year or sometimes a six-year program in residency. There are some uh, orthopedic residencies out there that give you a year to do uh, research. So you, you kind of have a, an extra year of residency where you're outside of clinical activities and you're doing research. After that residency of five or six years, then you're going to apply for a pediatric orthopedic fellowship, which is usually just a one-year position. Okay. Um, and then afterwards, you'll, you'll end up going to your practice. Now, in some of the bigger centers, if you're wanting to end up in a, in a, in a major center, you may have to take a second fellowship to subspecialize. So if you want to be the guy in Atlanta or, or wherever um, who does complex spines or who does complex hip deformity cases, you might want to do a special, a second fellowship in, in those to, to do those and be able to sell yourself as those. How competitive is pediatric orthopedic fellowship? Um, so when I was applying, it was uh, probably one of the less competitive uh, fellowships to apply for from a, a fellowship standpoint. Once you've made it in the door of orthopedics, um, if you are a U.S. trained uh, orthopedic resident, you ha- were you had a probably a ninety percent chance of getting in your top three ranked fellowship programs. And is that, that. typically because? pediatrics is just kind of follows the trend of most residencies, the, the lower the reimbursement, the easier or less competitive it is. Uh, to a certain degree. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's few people. Um, there's been a lot of different fellowships that have opened up. And so you have almost a one-to-one uh, rate of applicants to fellowship positions. Nice. Do you have any uh, advice for someone to be competitive for a pediatric spot? Maybe uh, overall, if it's not very competitive, but if they want to go to a competitive location, what they should be doing? I think those competitive locations are often looking at and interested in, one, your interest in research. So it's it's helpful to have shown some interest in research. Um, and then um, working closely with the pediatric orthopedic surgeons at your institution um, to develop a relationship and, and get good letters of recommendation from them. Um, I think can also be helpful. Um, so those are probably the two main things that I would say uh, are are key. Um, certainly, doing well on your in training exams and those kinds of things are, are are helpful. But overall, I think there's a certain level of uh, making sure that you're just well respected within your your own institution. Yeah. 
Now, you mentioned spine and hip as some potential further subspecialization once you're already in the PD ortho world. Are there any other mm-hmm. things that you can think about, uh, whether official or unofficial fellowships for for someone to further subspecialize? So another area that people often will have an interest in in doing things is um, limb deformity. Um, so if you're interested in limb lengthenings or correcting blounts or other other deformity conditions, you might consider doing a, a second fellowship or or looking for a first fellowship that has um, a heavy emphasis on doing those kinds of procedures. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you might consider looking and asking about those questions during your during your interview process for fellowship applications. Um, there is one, really only one fellowship, maybe two now that I, I'm aware of that actually you can do a specific fellowship in limb deformity correction. Um, but, th- but those, so that's one area. Other people will specialize in um, mus- neuromuscular conditions. So uh, taking care of children with cerebral palsy um, can play a big part in pediatric orthopedics. And, and, and it's one that sometimes pediatric certain pediatric orthopedic surgeons may not have an interest in because usually you're treading water rather than improving a patient's life. Yeah. Um, you're doing procedures, trying to maintain a certain level of function. And so, um, it takes a special person to, to maintain that interest and, and, and take care of those patients. So it's often an area where there's uh, someone who's kind of subspecialized in that area. Yeah. And then, uh, kind of this vague, other world is is pediatric hand, uh, where there are a lot of places that have some need for pediatric uh, congenital hand deformities, um, and so they might have a pediatric orthopedic surgeon, or they might have an, a hand surgeon who takes care of those patients. And and how you go about developing that niche can vary. Um, some people do a pediatric orthopedic fellowship and then do a second fellowship in in Pede's hand, that's like a six-month fellowship. Um, others kind of go from into hand and 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 approach the the topic from doing adult hand fellowship that maybe is heavy in, in pediatric hand yeah. condition. For the osteopathic student listening to this who wants to be a pediatric orthopedic surgeon, what should he or she be doing to to help overcome any negative bias that may be? Um, in a, in a specific program? Um, I think uh, probably working with and, and doing things like uh, rotations at institutions is key. Mm. Uh, I think there's a good number. I don't know the statistics for you, but as far as getting into orthopedic residency in particular, a, a significant percentage of residents, of orthopedic residents, get in because they rotated at, at that institution and the faculty at that institution got to see their work ethic and their interaction with patients and and their fund of knowledge um, on a firsthand basis. And so um, I think to me, if you're worried that there is something, you know, the school you went to or anything on your application that maybe doesn't present you in the best light, the best thing you can do is to to go and actually visit. And and hopefully your interpersonal skills and, and, and your drive can can help overcome that. What do you wish primary care providers knew, the, the pediatricians out there knew 
about what you're doing as a pediatric orthopedic surgeon to potentially help you and help help their patients? Um, so, you know, it would be nice if they had some understanding of, of uh, you know, tibial torsion and things. There's a, there's a significant number of consults that I get for, well, my kid is toe walking or my kid's feet turning in that I see in my, it's just my job to reassure the, the parents that this is normal, um, and will tend to improve on its own. So there's a, there's a, a certain number of um, things that are part of normal development or within the scope of normal that we get referred, I think, because uh, our culture has trained families that they want the specialist to say that and they don't trust the pediatric pediatrician. Yeah. Um, but they, they certainly are more than qualified to be able to see and, and evaluate that. Are there any other um, specialties that you work the closest with? So we work um, a fair amount with uh, PM&R physicians um, because of the CP population. Um, and, and so uh, when you, in most institutions, uh, PM&R uh, physicians end up becoming the primary care providers for a lot of cerebral palsy kids. And so you can have a, a pretty close relationship with uh, those physicians. Obviously, you're going to work closely with anesthesia and kind of uh, develop some rapport with them as far as uh, taking care of your patients. Um, frequently, if you're doing spines, you might even have a dedicated spine anesthesia team that uh, focuses on on taking care of your specific patient population. Are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for someone in pediatric orthopedics? There are certainly some that some positions around the country where you could be more research based, um, and in any field of orthopedics, there's kind of the legal side of things. If you want to deal with those, I have not um, <laughs> really interested myself in those, so I can't speak knowledgeably to those. Yeah. What about device? Um, the device world. The device world, uh, certainly there are companies that, that make and sell um, products specifically for pediatric orthopedics, um, and there's, there's a lot of, of work with that. Um, um, in addition, so I forgot to mention people you work closely with is prosthetists and orthotists, so you oh, yeah. work closely with them in general. Um, and, and so in that, in that connection, there's often um, a lot of, right now, a big thing is people trying to develop some sort of monitoring device for all of these different orthotics. You know, if we prescribe a brace, well, do we want to know how long you wore the brace to see if it's actually helping? And, you know, you're not going to wear the brace and maybe we don't need to, to prescribe it for you. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a lot of research and things going into developing these braces or these monitoring devices for braces so that we can tell how long people are wearing them and, and kind of give them real-time feedback. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into pediatric orthopedics? To be honest, I, I did a lot of research and, and I kind of was prepared when I, when I applied. Um, and so um, were there things I would have changed about my application or done better perhaps, but I, I feel like I was prepared for what, what I got myself into. Yeah, um, that's good. I'm not, I'm not sure I could say there was anything <laughs> particularly that I was shocked about. Yeah. What do you like the most about it? Uh, I really love uh, getting to uh, 
know families and see how their children grow mm. uh, and kind of respond to our treatment. Uh, and that's probably one of my favorite things is I've kind of gotten more out of being a resident and I, I've been able to develop my own practice and develop that follow-up. And then all like any surgeon, I, I really love being able to get in the operating room, kind of focus on one thing and, and see that at the end of the day, I made a, a, a sizable impact in that child's life. What do you like the least? Infection. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the bane of all orthopods existence. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, infection is probably one of our biggest challenges, um, whether it's uh, a spine that got infected or, or dealing with that. Um, so whenever we have any sort of complication, it's, it's it's heartbreaking to see and I have to work your, your to, to work through that with a family, yeah. whether it's a complication that's a result of something you could have done better on, or if it's just, you know, sometimes you have bad luck. Yeah. Do you see any major changes coming to the field that someone interested in going into it should be aware of? So I think there's a lot of research um, and efforts going into kind of how you deal with the growing spine and scoliosis. Um, and, and so people are doing kind of procedures that are on the fringe right now where they're doing tethering, which is um, trying to correct scoliosis without actually fusing the spine. Um, and other Would that other be like magic rods? Are, so... Yes and no. And a magic rod is a magnetically growing, magnetically implanted device that does end up fusing the spine, but you can kind of lengthen it um, without making incisions yeah. repeatedly. Okay. Um, that's slightly different from tethering, um, which in tethering, you put kind of this essentially a nylon cord on one side of the spine and try to encourage the spine to grow straight while still maintaining flexibility in the spine. <laughs> it's it's um, like, so it's like helping a tree grow straight. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so uh, there's a lot of, uh, I think efforts into understanding the three dimensional nature of scoliosis and figuring out ways that we can try to treat that without actually having to do a big surgery. And, and certainly if someone can successfully figure that out, um, probably a little more than 10 years out from that, but it would certainly change the way we do pediatric orthopedics pretty drastically. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Uh, in the meantime, there, there's a lot of orthopedic surgeons that, that are very active as spine in their spine practice and, and things like the magic rods have certainly changed the way we do um, early onset scoliosis where, or children as young as five and seven and eight are, are having uh, to undergo surgery for their scoliosis. Yeah. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a pediatric orthopedic surgeon? Absolutely. Any last words of wisdom for the student who uh, loves working with their hands and and uh, is now interested in in pediatric orthopedic surgery? I think that you have to know that it's a, it is, while it's worth it in the end, it's certainly a long road and, and orthopedic residency is, is challenging. Um, and, and so you have to be prepared for that. Your family has to be prepared for that um, because it's a big time commitment on the front end to do orthopedic residency. Yeah. Uh, 
and have to to deal with the time commitment on that end. Um, and also afterwards, you still have uh, time commitments, um, but they're a little bit more manageable. But be prepared for a difficult and challenging residency that will test your stamina. Um, but be willing to do it and approach it kind of with a cheerful attitude um, and an inquisitive mind, and, and I'm sure you'll do well. All right, so there you have it. Again, Dr. Philip Ashley, pediatric orthopedic surgeon in the Alabama-Birmingham area. If you are interested in orthopedics, maybe you're between orthopedics and pediatrics, hey, combine the two in pediatric orthopedic surgery. There you go. It's a great field. I, if you didn't know, I wanted to be an orthopod, so it's always fun to talk to the orthopods. Of course, the, the Air Force scholarship and the Air Force powers that be kind of said no to me for orthopedics, but that's okay. I wouldn't be here likely if it wasn't for that decision. So a great conversation today with Dr. Ashley. Again, if you are interested in pediatric orthopedic surgery or orthopedics in general, go reach out, find a mentor like Dr. Ashley did and see if you can get your exposure to a field that you're interested in increased and hopefully show you what to do in your medical career. I hope this podcast was helpful for you this week. I'm excited to bring you another guest soon. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.